Good evening, everybody. Andy Zoden here for kickserveradio.com. Before we get to the show, I come to you tonight with a heavy heart. Uh, the tennis industry lost a giant this week, and that would be Billy Freer. Many of you got to know Billy over the years as one of the premier tennis professionals in the world. He had been at Brookhaven Country Club in Dallas for the last 30 years. Prior to that, he was in Sun City working on a Gary Player Resort. And before that, when I had the opportunity to work for him, Billy was the director of tennis in Austin at the Lakeway World of Tennis. I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to work for Billy for a couple of years in the mid-80s. And every measure of success that I have ever had in tennis, I owe to Billy Freer. Billy played the tour and had a good run until he had an injury. And then he became, again, one of the most amazing tennis coaches and tennis directors that the industry has ever seen. He was tough. He was tough on me. And it's exactly what I needed at the time. He was a tough coach, a tough boss. And goodness, did it work wonders for those of us that had the opportunity to learn from him. John Roddick can tell you the same. He was probably... At that time, Billy's prize student that he was teaching and Andy Roddick was running around in those days. But Billy was a television host, hosting Lone Star Tennis back in the day. He had the look for TV, always in the perfect Alessi outfit. Looked like he just got it out of the plastic every day. That beautiful sparkling Rolex watch that he would wear to work, coming to work in that beautiful 450 SL. He was everything you wanted to be as a tennis pro. He was everything I wanted to be. And I had the opportunity to learn from him. He mentored me and gave me exactly what I needed to have the career that I have had in this business. Billy, thank you for all that you did for me. I know so many people feel the same way. He spent his last 30 years in Dallas, as I said, at Brookhaven Country Club, running arguably the most successful club program in America. He was one of the most influential professionals with Club Corp. And he was just a guy that we all looked up to for so many reasons. Great player, shrewd businessman, great family man. Billy is survived by his wife, Lori, sons, Jimmy and Eddie, his brother, Mike, and so many of us that will miss him and appreciate everything he brought to our industry. I want you to just hear a couple of words from an interview that Billy gave a few years back, which I found specific to my situation. Here's a couple of words on Billy talking about how to manage your club. Hire the right people, meaning people with good tennis backgrounds, people who are eager not only to serve your members, but to grow and to make tennis a real career. Then develop those young people and give them the opportunity to learn more about running a tennis club, i.e. not just teaching tennis lessons, but running different programs, managing the business of the club, managing the fellow employees at the club, to give them an opportunity to progress to the next level so that ultimately they can become successful and make a career out of teaching tennis. And that hits home with me because that's exactly what Billy did. He took a young guy gave him all the tools that he would need to move forward in life and to make a career in tennis, which is what I've done. Thanks to you, Billy. You will be missed. Rest in peace. All of us that knew you, love you, and will never forget you. 
ladies and gentlemen. That is my tribute to Billy Freer. I can't possibly say enough, but I did my best. And now on with the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. tennis fans to kickserveradio.com part of the tennis channel podcast network featuring international tennis hall of famer former world number one Mats Vlander, and texas longhorn all-time great two-time all-american johnny levine your host of kickserveradio.com is andy zoden so take it away az and take it away, I will. Haven't said that in a while, but we are back. Welcome, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And we haven't gotten together since before Wimbledon. Of course, our show features the great Mats Vlander, seven major championships as a singles player, one as a doubles player, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former number one in the world, Johnny Levine of the Texas Longhorn Hall of Honor ilk will be joining us a little later in the show. Matt, I start out, there's so many things to talk about, but I have to ask you this question. What year is it? (laughs) Uh, Andy, great to be with you. I'm not really sure because I've been on the traveling for the last month. I went to Wimbledon a couple of weeks. I went to Sweden for a week and a half and uh, time flies, but, uh, well, I asked for a reason. I asked for a specific reason. And that's because earlier, before we went to record, I turned on my television set and I turned it on tennis channel, which I do very often. And I saw Gael Monfils versus Bjorn Fratangelo playing in Washington, DC. And I had to look in the corner of the screen to see if it was actually live or if this was just a throwback and it was raining in Washington, what is going on here? Bjorn <laughs> for Tangelo. I had not seen that name in forever. Of course, we've seen a little bit of Guillaume Monfils, but not a whole lot recently. And it just made me feel like I had jumped into some sort of time warp, but lo and behold, it was live and Guillaume Monfils did beat him, but it just goes to show you as we go into this hard court season, we see a little bit of everything. We do. And uh, to go back to that, yes, uh, Watching Carlos Alcaraz play, I think that's when you realize that it is 2023 and not 2013. <laughs> yes. Because he's so good and he's so modern. Uh, and Wimbledon was absolutely a brilliant tournament in so many different ways. But but to start at the end of it, I have to say that um, this match with Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic would not have been at that level if it wasn't for Novak Djokovic. Because the thing about Novak that is so impressive is that when he loses, you know the other guy is playing completely out of his mind. When Novak wins tournaments, when he wins the French, sometimes he wins easily and the level... Uh, is high, but it doesn't have to be as high as he can get it to because he wins anyway. But you know when he's trailing and he's losing that he's pulling every 
every trick out of his bag, which he did in the finals against Alcaraz. And then, of course, you see what Alcaraz is made of, not physically, uh, not technically, but mentally and emotionally. You realize this guy is 20 years old and he behaves like a 36-year-old in the biggest match of his career against the best player of all time at his favorite stadium. He can win 10 majors. He can win 15 majors if he stays healthy because the mindset of him is the same strength as the mindset of the big three in my mind. Before he chases down the big three, Mats, he's got you in his crosshairs because you are the only guy to ever win four majors before the age of 21. Now, Alcaraz has two. He would probably need to win this U.S. Open, and I'm not sure when his birthday is, but my suspicion is for him to tie you, he needs to win two out of the next three to be able to surpass you and become the only guy to ever win five before age 21, which would be absolutely just amazing. He has to win U.S. Open, Australia, and the French Open. He actually has to win uh, the next two, Andy. He has to win the next two because his birthday is uh, beginning of May. It's a okay. week after Holger Rune from Denmark, which is also <laughs> unbelievable. They're born within a week of, of one wow. another the same year. But if Alcaraz wins the next two, I will gladly hand him the, um, the crown to be the next uh, under-21 champion of all time. Well, the beauty is, is that you'll share the record with him. And I would think that where most people like to have a record like that to themselves, hearing the way you have just gushed about this kid for some time now, my suspicion is you would almost prefer to share a record with Carlos Alcaraz than hold it by yourself. Am I misreading that? No, you're not misreading that. But the coolest (laughs) thing. No, yeah, I would love to because then they'll bring up my name always. But right. listen, I don't want them to bring up my name uh, ever. But uh, I saw all those uh, uh, statistics about the youngest to to win the number of ATP Tour titles uh, and so on and so on. But the most interesting one for me was actually out of the first 150 matches on tour, I think Carlos Alcaraz has won 117. Wow. Uh, and I won something like 111 or something. Uh, and I think Borg and Rafa is somewhere close. Again, numbers don't matter. But what's really cool for me is is I can completely put myself in his state of mind, being that young, beating up on so many players, different styles, different surfaces. And, I mean, I remember what my confidence was like after I won the French Open in 1985, which was my fourth about two months before my 21st birthday. But the most important is is I now sort of understand how he doesn't freak out in the Wimbledon final because he doesn't know better. He's heading into the unknown. I bet you Novak Djokovic was, if you can even call it that, but most probably more tight or more nervous or more angry than Carlos Alcaraz because he knows what it feels like, like to lose the Wimbledon final was Alcaraz. I could never agree with that. Oh, he doesn't have the experience. I mean, having no experience in a big match is a good thing because you don't have a, a bad memories or scar tissue from a bad loss. Uh, and he certainly doesn't have any scar tissue from any bad loss uh, when while he's been at his best. So he is so complete, and I was not. Uh, so he's so far ahead of me in every department but mentally it's an it's an interesting comparison that i can make in my mind for sure 
seems like a lot of people tried to manufacture scar tissue on his behalf just based on the performance at the French Open and the way he cramped up and they wanted to try to uh, you know, project that onto what would happen in a Wimbledon final. And, and of course, as you said, Alcaraz would have none of it. Matt's when we got together last time, we talked about that very delicate transition of going from the clay court season and in particular a good run at Roland Garros to then try to prepare yourself for grass and a run at Wimbledon. But the difference now in transitioning from the grass courts to the hard courts you can stretch your legs a little bit. You can let your hair down and you can take your time and you can play some matches and take a little time off. Talk about the transition uh, of going from grass to hard and trying to turn the trick of winning both Wimbledon and the U S open in the same year as Alcaraz will be trying to do come August. I think that it's changed a lot because you can play uh, again, like I said, a a more similar style. Obviously um, the biggest difference is that a, a grass court is very difficult to move on. And a hard court is very easy to move on. So I think that when you get on a hard court, you just feel like you're flying. I mean, you gri- your feet grip, and now they can even slide if they want to. But the movement is so much easier uh, on a hard court than on a grass court. So I think that's the positive part. The negative part uh, used to be that after you've played on grass for four weeks, your ground strokes are really nowhere to be found. Because obviously when you're coming into the net, all the time and you're afraid of bad bounces the confidence in the strike itself goes down the toilet if you're someone like me uh, and I think for Alcaraz he'll most probably have some of that but I think again uh, because the courts are so good at Wimbledon um, I think that they're going to feel like they have a lot more time on a hard court and that's always very welcome and the reason uh, why they have more time is, again, Novak touched on it. And this, to me, is a really important point. He said in the press conference, this is the fastest surface we have in tennis. And actually, and I hope he corrects me if he hears what I'm saying. Actually, what he's trying to say is that it's the shortest reaction time that wow. you have between your opponent's shot and yours. And the reason for that is not because the ball travels through the grass faster because it doesn't. It's a slower bounce, and that's scientifically proven these days. But it is because you have to play closer to the baseline on grass because the bounce is lower. And if your opponent hit a sort of a crappy shot around the service line, it doesn't come to you. So you are much closer to each other when you play on grass. And on hardcore, of course, suddenly you see Medvedev. He goes all the way back because the ball's going to skid through. He, he It's easier to move. He can change direction. So uh, I, I think that's what Novak is trying to say. Uh, so I think, again, they're going to find hardcore. Oh, man, I have so much time. And the ball bounces up a little bit. I don't have to try and take it as soon as possible. I can come over everything because I'm not worried about a bad bounce. And um, I mean, it's easier to return in the hard court. So that's always a bit of a shock when you hit a good serve at Wimbledon. It's usually over. But uh, now it's not on hard court. So I think the transition is uh, very difficult, either going to grass from clay or going from grass to hard courts. But I think that it's easier from grass to hard courts than clay to grass for sure. Sounds like what you're saying, Mass, before we go to break is that it sounds like maybe guys need to go from the French Open to the pickleball courts 
yeah, to the grass courts. And then maybe <laughs> since they're standing so close together on a pickleball court, I figured I'd uh, maybe give that one a shot. That's exactly right. Too many people would agree. All right, when we come back, there's so many great storylines. I want to touch on them in sort of lightning round type fashion. Johnny Levine will also be joining us a little later in the show, but more Matt's Vlander on kickserveradio.com with AZ on Tennis Channel Podcast Network right after this. Hey guys, AZ here with Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and I am joined by Diadem Business Development Manager, Doug Mouch. And Doug, let's face it, pickleball right now is all of the rage. However, it hasn't been exactly a seamless transition of bringing pickleball in with some of the the tennis clubs. And one of the pain points has been the sound of pickleball. And Diadem has really taken the bull by the horns with regard to some new technology that you guys have out that I think all pickleball players, tennis players, or people that have a concern about the sound of pickleball are going to be very excited. Tell us about it. This past November, we launched the Vice Paddle. And we knew it wouldn't be conforming to USAPA rules because it has the EVA foam in it. That EVA foam causes the paddle to have a little more of a trampoline effect. But our theory was it's going to help tennis elbow or pickleball elbow, help wrist issues. It will help people that need a little more power that don't have it. But the biggest factor that we have found that's helped many country clubs and communities is the noise factor. So this EVA foam device paddle, it really does not make any noise whatsoever. It's a very solid noise, more of a tennis racket. So it kind of mutes that plastic wiffle ball noise to almost zero. So it gives you a little more power, in in some cases a lot more. It's arm friendly. It's audio friendly. Where can people go online to find out more about Diadem's wide array of pickleball equipment and tennis equipment? Well, our website is diademsports.com. The paddle is the diadem vice. Go online, check it out. I'm Andy Zoden. Doug, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And good luck with all you guys are doing. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate your time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are back and better than ever. Took a little bit of time off. Hey, what are you going to do when you got Matt Svelander across the pond working for Eurosport, doing what he does at the French Open and then Wimbledon, and we get him when we can, and we've been on an extended break. But no more long breaks for us. The hard court season is upon us, and we're going to be back to it. Matt, there's so many things in the, in the news right now. And a guy that hasn't played a tennis match in forever, and yet every time I go to the internet, I see something about Nick Kyrgios. Why do I hear and see so much about Nick Kyrgios? Is it because of guys like me bringing up Nick Kyrgios on shows like this? 
Well, I mean, I think that why we because we miss him. Right. Uh, everybody misses him because when he plays tennis uh, and he tries as hard as he did at Wimbledon last year, he's he's one of the one of the most attractive players uh, in terms of entertainment, but not only in terms of level as well uh, and in terms of tennis IQ as well. So there's so many things that Nikiros does that are good and great for the game that I think sometimes. Sometimes, often it gets overshadowed by by when he's around or when he's not around, for example, because he hasn't been around and he's been injured. So, uh, I mean, is it is it a, a, do we have a vulnerable game because we keep bringing him up? I don't think so. I think we're really what we're saying is uh, we, we miss him and uh, we hope that at some point we might have another Nick Curious or maybe two more Nick Curious because he is that uh, important for the game. Hope to see him soon. I'm, I'm, I have become a, a big Nikurus fan uh, in the later years, I would say more than in the beginning. And I think that I'm starting to understand him and understand that uh, we're, not, we're not all the same. They are not all the same. Not everybody can have the same attitude as Novak Djokovic. Uh, and not everybody can have that body that never breaks down. His breaks down a little bit. And sometimes his mind has broken down. And, and uh, he just reminds us how crazy good uh, and uh, different the big three have been over the years. Because Nick Kyrgios is way more like the players used to be than comparing him to the big three in terms of what he does, for sure. Well, he has certainly followed Novak Djokovic's lead, and maybe Novak Djokovic's body uh, is being compromised now. They've both pulled out of Toronto. So as far as Nick Kyrgios is concerned, whether on the tennis court or, or not, I mean, he's bringing the heat as a player, or as a, let's call him a social media provocateur, uh, if we may. Uh, Iga Svantec is in the news based on comments made by a guy that we are friendly with and both like a lot, Jimmy Arias, who basically made, I, I read them as innocent comments that he, I think the part that maybe rubbed people the wrong way where he says, I don't think Iga Svantec has been good for tennis because she has not been uh, able to connect with the fans as well as she could have if she didn't wear a hat. I'd like to see her eyes a little more. I'd like to see her face a little bit more. The part about I don't think she's been good for tennis, I bet if Jimmy could take that part of it back, Mats, I bet he would. Absolutely. I think Jimmy Arias would never uh, try and and uh, make that sound like criticism. I think what he's trying to, to make it sound like is – uh, that if you see any player's face more and if no one was wearing a baseball cap and you see the facial expressions, yeah, you would get to know the person more because you'll see the grimaces and you'll see everything that's going on. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, Iga Swantik necessarily can play without a cap. Uh, she might feel like that's her that's her space and and this is how I focus and I don't I can't see the crowd and I'm more and it's working. She's number one in the world and she's dominant, so it's working. But I think that she's great for the game because she's so good because the level has gone up on the women's tour and it's mainly because of Iga Swantek. All right. Um, so the, the the rematch from Wimbledon with Vika Azarenka and Alina Svitolina, and that was controversial because they had an unbelievable match at Wimbledon. And Vika, who I thought for all the world was doing the respectful thing at the end, which was understanding 
she's not going to shake my hand and I get it and I understand it. And so she sort of stepped away and didn't put Svitolina in an awkward position of having to sort of shun her. So she just kind of walked away and boy, she got booed off the court at Wimbledon. It was very unjustified and Vika let him know it. Now they're about to play again uh, this week. And apparently an announcement is going to be made in advance of the match. There will not, there will not be a handshake and here, you know, and I don't know that they're going to get into the politics of why. Um, what are your thoughts on that situation, Matt? What were they talking about at Wimbledon during that when, when you were doing what you were doing? Yeah, so I think that was a very much a PIMS-induced crowd towards okay. the end of the day, Wimbledon on court one. Uh, and the way that uh, the uh, situation unfolded, if you had no idea what was going on, then it could look like Vika didn't want to shake uh, Svitolina's hand. Uh, I guess if you look at the at the tape and if uh, Vika had a chance to to uh, redo what happened, uh, maybe in a perfect world she could have slowed down a little bit and they could have met at the umpire's chair and sort of said thank you to each other and without shaking the hand. And that's what kind of, I guess... Uh, the, in, again, in the perfect world, uh, because of what's going on in, in those places of the part of the world, then I think people would understand that, oh, it's a gesture uh, that doesn't mean they don't thank each other for the match. It just means that we, Svitolina doesn't want to shake uh, a player from, from that country's hand. Last last comment about that, Mats. I'm, I'm curious. You say it's it's not necessarily a personal thing toward Vika, but is the relationship between the Ukrainians and the Russians and the Belarusian players, Sabalenka and Azarenka, and, and is it, it's got to at least be strained out there right now. I mean, Daria Kazakina, or excuse me, uh, Dar, uh, Stromska rather, uh, has made comments that she's been uncomfortable at times uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, these, these Ukrainian players must be harboring some, some pretty, some pretty strong feelings. I mean, I can't uh, imagine how you can focus on playing tennis uh, the way that uh, some of the Ukrainian women are doing. Um, but again, you can't buy into any part of that, uh, that there is a personal strain on their relationships uh, because they are from there. It's just more, do they represent their country when they're playing? And in tennis, they, they don't. So I think that you just make a stand and you hope that gesture will at some point reach, uh, reach you know, the, the Kremlin or it reaches uh, whatever governments that are involved in this. And then they say, hold on, we're affecting not just our two countries, but sports in general, the whole world. And I don't know if that's going to make any difference at all. But you do what you can. And Svitolina and the Ukrainian women are doing what they can uh, and is in their powers. When we come back, I will be joined by Johnny Levine. And that means... You're going to hear of the name Chris Eubanks being mentioned. You're going to hear the name Jerry Zhang, which was Jerry Zhang until he started winning matches. So we realized it was actually pronounced Jerry Zhang. And real quick, Matt, Jerry Zhang beat Ben Shelton in Atlanta. They're about to play again, as fate would have it, in Washington, D.C. We see that occasionally where we see these guys, for whatever reason, every week or every other week, they keep meeting up and it's going to be these two lefties. What's your thoughts on that young Chinese player who really seems like he's got the legitimate goods? He's got legitimate goods, and I think that uh, he's got legitimate goods 
and he trusts it now because you now have three or four Chinese men winning matches in majors, uh, and it's all the time. So, they're, I mean, the Chinese women have been doing that for a while. Of course, Li Na won a couple of majors, uh, and I think that it was just a matter of somebody showing them uh, the, the Chinese men the way a little bit. They have the talent, of course, they got the numbers, uh, and they got the the science behind it, and they've hired a lot of coaches, not just from China, but from from the rest of the world. So I think they're they're catching up quicker than I thought, to be honest. Now the step from what they're doing uh, uh, to winning a major is obviously extremely long, but it starts with being main draw in Grand Slams, and then you get a good draw. Now you're in the quarters. And suddenly you get a walkover. Now you're in the semis and now you play the match. So uh, is it far away? Not that far away before we have a Chinese Grand Slam champion on the men's side. I really don't think so. Is it this generation that's playing now? Is it the lefty? I don't know. But uh, I think they're they're coming. Just like he is prone to do, Johnny Levine identified him on our show right here about a year ago. So Johnny will have a few other young players to keep your eye on. When we come back, we'll hear from him. You're listening to kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. AZ, Matt's Vlander, Johnny Levine joins me right after this. Hi, guys. Sarah Z here with a Kickserve Quick Serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, As we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, our fitness levels take a hit if we're not careful, don't they? You know, Sarah, they do, unfortunately. And I highly suggest supporting your activities at every stage, pre-workout, intra-workout, and post-workout. So you want to think about a pre-workout. We have a product called Endgame, and that basically will allow you to increase your energy and focus during your workout. And then intra-workout is almost just as critical. So we have branched-chain amino acids called BCAA311, and that's a perfect product to allow your body to almost refuel while you're working out. It's a super hydrator as well as a muscle recovery while you're working out. And then finally, protein is critical post-workout and body fuse lean protein is one of the highest quality proteins on the market. Very, very effective, a slow, long burn, six to eight hours after ingestion and after that workout. So your energy, you're not, you're not going to crash and your energy continues. You're feeding your muscles and you just feel Great. So with these three elements, pre, intra, and post-workout, you're really going to support yourself at all stages in any activities, in intense workouts, tennis matches, body strength conditionings, uh, sessions, etc. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickserve Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. We are back and better than ever. Tennis Channel Podcast Network, as promised, joined now by Johnny Levine. And Johnny, boy, I tell you what, it's going to be tough to um, to follow Matt's Vlander. We hit some hard-hitting stories like uh, whether or not Iga Svantec is wearing her hat too low over her eyes, 
Nick Kyrgios and his consistent presence, if not on the tennis court, at least in the court of social media. And I want to talk about some of the results that we've now seen as we transition from the grass court season to the hard court season. But before we do, a story that I do find rather interesting is one of Coco Goff receiving some counseling, if not coaching, and the potential for a longer-term coaching relationship with somebody you know very well, Brad Gilbert. Now, in the past, Brad seems like he's been very good with taking a player with high expectations and maybe having a tendency to put a little too much pressure on themselves. I speak, obviously, of Andre Agassi and Andy Roddick. Now it's Coco Goff. Do you see this as a good match for Coco Goff based on where she's at in her career at this moment? Here's Johnny. Yeah, I actually do, Andy. I think uh, I think Brad Gilbert is a is just a, a very very astute coach. He understands the game as good as anyone. Uh, he knows how to get the best out of his players. Uh, obviously, on the mental side, I think Coco Goff could use some help. Uh, she certainly has the talent. Um, she's made top ten, but to get to that next level. Um, I think maturity, I think, I think the mental side of the game is, is going to be the key. And I think Brad Gilbert is a hundred percent, the right guy to help her get there. You know, him well, you guys go way back from, from early in the juniors to doubles partnership, uh, even winning a gold medal at the, at the Maccabi games years ago. And I know that relationship has continued on. Was it, what is it about his coaching style to me from, I know Brad a little bit, certainly not the way you guys do. But he just seems like a guy that is going to continue to both shoot straight, but at the same time, keep things as positive as possible. He just seems like a guy that wants to infuse a player with positive, confident energy, but speak the truth as well. Yeah, I think you just nailed it, Andy. I mean, Brad looks at everything uh, glass half full. He doesn't go negative on anything. It's always about improvement. It's always about positiveness. It's always about, you know, never getting, uh, you know, ahead of yourself, never getting too, uh, I don't want to say the word confident, but too, too high on the hog if you win and don't get too down if you lose. He, he's more of a steady, uh, confidant type of a guy that looks at each week as a new week, a new opportunity, and regardless if you've won or if you've lost, you've got to move on to the next week. So everything with Brad is is about positive energy and looking for improvement in his player. And I think he's just a great fit, and it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. If that becomes a true player-coach relationship or if this is just – Brad, you know, dipping his big toe back in the water, if you will. All right. So, Johnny, you've been very good over the past couple of years at identifying certain players that are really on their way up. You identified Carlos Alcaraz very early on. Uh, you you were talking about several of these players. Uh, Jerry Jung, who has recently burst onto the scene with a big win uh, in Atlanta. Uh, he's, he's looking like he might be the, the, the next up and comer very, very quick, very confident, very smart player. Um, but a guy that played very well in Arizona and these guys seem to use Arizona oftentimes as a springboard is the guy from the country. I'm not apparently supposed to mention, but that's Alexander Shevchenko. And, and now in Washington, he has had back-to-back wins over Maxime Cressy in two straight sets 
And then Sebastian Corda, he beats him 6-4 in the third in the second round. Is this more of a reason for optimism for Shevchenko to maybe take that next step? Or is it reason for potential pessimism of where Corda is compared to where we would hope he would be going into this hard court season in 2023? Yeah, I mean, when Shevchenko played in Phoenix, um, boy, did he play well. He got to the finals. He he had some some great matches. Beat Berrettini, beat Monfils, yeah, right. Yeah, so he had some great wins. He showed a lot of potential, and I really thought this is a guy that's going to shoot up into the top 30. It's been a little slow to get there, although, you know, he's he's inside the top 100. He's had a couple of really good wins here and there, and I think we, we will see some big things out of Shevchenko, uh, certainly in, in the near future. And, you know, there's other guys that are playing well. There's a couple of Americans, you know, uh, Michael Moe, has had some good wins, and uh, a young guy named uh, Zach Spida, who's played our tournament, um, had his first ATP 500 winning. So it's nice to see some of these younger Americans that haven't been the namesake guys do well. Uh, we're seeing more of them, so that's definitely uh, exciting for, for men's tennis in, in USA. You know, we'd mentioned Jerry Zhang a, a bit ago, and back when you brought him up, we thought it was Jerry Zhang because of the way it's spelled, but uh, the way... Uh... Jimmy Arias and Mark Knowles were pronouncing it the other night. It's clearly young. And he's now beaten Ben Shelton, another one of the guys that you identified uh, a little over a year ago at this time. And Jung's beaten Ben Shelton and now two consecutive tournaments, beat him four and four in Atlanta, three and a third in D.C. Ben Shelton, we talked a little bit about him in the previous segment with Matt. And Matt has concerns about Ben Shelton at this moment based on shot selection and potentially now he's putting pressure on himself and he sort of sees Ben Shelton if he's not careful as kind of going by way of Denis Shapovalov, a huge game with huge weapons, a big lefty that should for all intents and purposes be one of the most dangerous guys out there. But he thinks maybe like Shapovalov, maybe Ben Shelton is maybe as much of a danger to himself as he is his opponents. If he doesn't learn to, you know, for lack of a better description, keep it between the lines a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, Shelton came, you know, bursting onto the scene. No one had seen him play at that big, huge serve, had nothing to lose. Uh, has an amazing result getting the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, uh, um, you know, flying high. And then it's been tough for him to to sustain. I think guys have, have now, you know, seen him play, know how to play him a little bit better. And I think that, you know, Shelton's probably feeling some of the nerves to get to that next level. But I think in time he'll he'll settle down and I think he'll find his way into the consistent top 30 and potentially get into the top 10. It's it's new to him. I think it, he will find the consistency though uh soon enough. Johnny as we move toward this US Open and we see that Novak Djokovic and Nikirios for that matter have both pulled out of Toronto with injuries, and I don't know how serious those are, but at the age of 36, 37, it would make sense for Djokovic to want to pace himself uh, with regard to wear and tear on the body on the hard courts and really make sure that he goes into the U.S. Open 100% ready to grind out potentially seven matches. Um, but, But at this moment, based on that and based on what we saw in that Wimbledon final, is Carlos Alcaraz the absolute undisputed prohibitive favorite to go into New York and repeat based on what we saw last year at the open, based on what we saw this year at Wimbledon, 
or is there a potential for him to to maybe get caught up in in so much of the hype and so many of the demands that are going to now be placed on him because he really his profile was absolutely supercharged after this Wimbledon win. Do you fear for him to maybe be taken a little bit off course because of all of the hoopla that now surrounds this kid based on having done what he's done at age 20? No, I think, I think he's that good where he'll sustain and I think he'll um, handle the pressure. I think he's so good, so much better than so many of the players that he'll come through with, uh, consistent wins and 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 have fewer upsets. Although, look, I mean, there's so many great players. Anything can happen. But he is the clear-cut favorite. I think you have to favor him over over Djokovic as well. Um, it would be an incredible final to see the two of them play again, and anyone can win. But I think you got to give the edge slightly to Alcaraz right now. But look, we can't count out the the, the tier right below them: Medvedev, Rude, Tsitsipas, uh, and Rune, Rublev. These guys, anything can happen. But but certainly, those two are the clear favorites to get uh, to the finals. Johnny, before I let you go, you have been so good at identifying talent well before they really kind of hit their stride. And there's another guy that you identified that you've been real high on. We got an opportunity to work for, with him in Phoenix. And now he's part of the coverage team for tennis channel for the hard court uh, season. And he's starting in Washington. At least I think he's starting there. Maybe he's been doing some of this television for them. And that's Alex Gruskin. And he, when I saw his name, I'm like, there goes Johnny again, having identified a kid who you really liked his game behind the mic. He and I got a chance to joust a little bit back and forth, and we really had some fun. And I think we both realized that this kid is a real young up-and-comer, and I think he's going to be really good for tennis coverage. And he seems like the kind of guy that we need right now to keep it light and keep it fun. But that being said, the guy doesn't clown around. I mean, he really knows his stuff, and he knows what's going on with this generation of players, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, Alex is just a true passion of, of tennis and uh, knows how to ask the questions and knows to ha- how to get, you know, the guys that he's interviewing engaged in the interview because he does his homework and he'll ask questions to guys that, they'll, you know, they'll be shocked that he knows these these little, in, in, you know, interesting facts, details about them that I think it, it brings the guy in. Like, how does he know that about me? So it, it's really it's really exciting to see his uh, his progression through 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 the tennis commentator. And uh, he's a huge advocate of the game and and brings a lot of energy to it. So it will be fun to see his progress for sure. And that's that's the Cracked Rackets podcast, which is also part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, as are we. We are KickServeRadio.com. Make no mistake, we're the old guys. Cracked Rackets, they're the young guys. But hopefully we both have something good to offer to what you guys are looking for as far as tennis coverage is concerned. I'm Andy Zoden. He's Johnny Levine from Matt's Vlander. We're back, and we're going to be with you guys on a regular basis now, uh, rebranding a few things and trying to tweak a couple of things and stay up with the times. So uh, hopefully you guys will stay up with us right here on KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Enjoy the hard court season and stay on it with us.